Good morning, church. And good morning, everybody online. What warnings do you pay attention to? The amber light, get ready to stop. The flashing lights in a school zone, slow down, kids are on their way to or from school. The full car park at Coles, picking up a few things is going to take longer than you planned. My favourite warning is the one the kookaburras give. Often I'll be walking the dog around the oval and the cookers are sitting in the gum trees that stand on the edge of the ground, high above the dog and I, and they get together. Did you know they're called a riot of kookaburras when they're all together? Such a perfect name for them. Out of the silence comes the laugh. It's orchestral in nature. It's low and slow and singular to start. But that builds to this fascinating crescendo and it's full on, all of them at the tops of their voices, laughing into the quietness of the day and filling it with their rioting presence. And often, but not always, because they do like to laugh, but often rain will follow. And I'll think later when that rain comes, oh, they were right. Rain was on its way. It's like they say with that full-on laugh, pay attention, hark, something's about to happen. And as we think about love in action this morning, I'd like us to be thinking about this call to pay attention because that's what God does throughout the Old Testament. Through all the stories and characters, sometimes it's a whisper and sometimes it's earth-shatteringly loud. Pay attention. If you want to know me and live in relationship with me, be loved and blessed by me, then pay attention to what I'm saying. And in the Gospels, through the life and testimony of Jesus himself, he's saying the same thing. Pay attention to what I'm saying and what I'm doing. And in the rest of the New Testament, through the letters of others, they're saying the same thing. Pay attention. So let's pray. Lord, I just pray that as we meet this morning and come under your word, that you will just... Um, just help me to, to give this message and to let us have hearts to hear what your word is saying to each and every one of us and let your spirit just be present amongst the words and amongst our hearts as we sit and we hear and uh, we ponder in our hearts what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text for today is a, no a well-known one, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus says really clearly, pay attention. This is what love in action looks like. So let's take a look. In the parable, Jesus is responding to an expert in the law. He's telling us and him to pay attention. But to what? Pay attention that the priests crossed to the other side of the road to avoid seeing the half-dead man lying there. Pay attention that a Levite also crossed the road, crossed to the other side of the road to avoid seeing the, the same half-dead man stand, lying there. Pay attention that a Samaritan, enemy of the Jews, came upon the half-dead man, had mercy on him and helped him. Pay attention that the Samaritan, enemies of the Jews, 
went way above what any of us would expect a helper to do. Pay attention that the Samaritan, enemy of the Jews, loved the half-dead man like himself. Pay attention that my enemy is my neighbour. That is, love your enemy as yourself. Is that it? At the conclusion of the parable, Jesus asks the expert, which of these three was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So it seems he got the answer Jesus was looking for. But if we pay attention, we know that Jesus spoke in parables for a reason. He's deliberately cryptic. Listeners have to work to find the hidden meaning. When I really read this parable and I listen to what I need to pay attention to, I start to notice a bit more and I start to ask questions. Why does Jesus have two Jewish religious characters here? Why is it so easily accepted that the man was robbed and left for dead? And what about the man? He has no voice. There's no mention of his reaction to the Samaritan's kindness, no context given to him, for him, no sense of him at all in the parable, except as a vessel for the Samaritan's mercy. So I pay attention to what's said and what's left unsaid. And as we pay attention, we notice three things about the Samaritan. Firstly, he sees, he hears, he understands. Secondly, he acts. And thirdly, he commits. When we read the parable, it's important to think of the context, the Jewish values embedded that we may not appreciate, that the Jericho to Jerusalem road was very dangerous. So it's not surprising that the man has been attacked and robbed and left, for, left to die. And the Jews and Samaritans, well, they're enemies. So Jesus is trying to deepen our understanding and theirs of neighbour, and, and he tells us more about it. But also, it's important to think of Jesus' immediate context as he responds to the expert's question with this parable. At this time, Jesus has left Galilee and he's making his way to Jerusalem, where he'll be crucified. And of course, he knows it. So time and expectation are ramping up. This parable teaches about the upside-down kingdom. The Jews were expecting a king to come and triumph over the Romans. They got a carpenter who preaches a serving theology, not a warring theology. Jesus in the flesh is not bringing down a holy war on the Romans. He is seemingly going to submit to the powers of the day and be crucified once and for all. So many times Jesus tried to alert the disciples to this alternative narrative, but they didn't understand. Pay attention, he said, but they kept getting it wrong. Sound familiar? We do it all the time. So Jesus' parables are part of this alternative, upside-down narrative. He's not come to play the role of saviour in the way the Jews expected. This parable, this story full of symbolism, is another moment where Jesus is saying, pay attention. If you want to know how to get eternal life, then pay attention. Pay attention to who God is, what he's done for us, who we are and what we're meant to do with our lives. 
And as we answer those questions, we get a fuller understanding of how to love in action. The beauty of Jesus' parable is that it's so layered, like all of them. If we look at this one at the surface level, the way the expert of the law looked at it, we listen to what Jesus says in this time, at this time. On one occasion, an expert in the law, as we heard Stuart read, stood up to test Jesus. Dietrich asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? How do you read it? He replied. He answered, love the Lord, with all, the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? The asking of the question to Jesus by the experts in the law appears in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. And in all three versions, they were setting out to test Jesus. In this Luke version, the expert pushes even further and he asks Jesus to define neighbour. So they're wanting to test Jesus and then justify their own interpretation of this law by getting a watertight definition. Jesus' response is the parable. And it's not what the expert was hoping for. You see, he was looking for wriggle room, a loophole. He wanted to do a way to do less, not more. He's looking to get off the hook. And that can be our response, don't you think? We're all looking for wriggle room because we're broken. So Jesus is challenging and subverting the Jewish understanding of love and neighbour. And that's true for us too. He's challenging us. But the expert in the law responded correctly to Jesus' question at the end and left, believing he'd understood the parable, even though it would have unsettled him. I can just imagine him saying to his friends, oh, that Jesus, he... He always has to come up with something tricky. You know who was the, the good guy? The Samaritan. So he would have been unsettled by the answer. Earlier in the chapter, in prayer to the Father, Jesus thanks him for hiding these things, these truths about his kingdom from the wise and learned and revealing them to little children. And so in this upside-down kingdom that Jesus preaches, we... His little children go deeper into the parable. He reveals to us something of this new kingdom he is bringing in. So to our first point, and it's taken a while to get there, but if we have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to understand, we recognise the Samaritan as Jesus, the radical, challenging outsider who had an unsettling authority and an unfathomable confidence who could speak and respond with a wisdom that was beyond his years and earthly pedigree, who always, consistently has mercy on those he sees suffering. Jesus positions himself to see and hear everything around him, and he understands the deep wounds that people have. We've seen this mercy towards others as he loves the un unlovable. The bleeding woman who touched his coat the tax collector, the woman at the well, the man with leprosy, the woman caught in adultery. This parable tells us so much, like the others, about the nature of God and what he's done for us. 
He is God, sovereign God creator. He is God, all-powerful, all-knowing, alpha and omega God. He is God and he loves us. He is God and he desires a relationship with us. And in that desire for relationship with us, the Father sends the Son. The Son who leaves heaven and comes to earth in human form, vulnerable as a man without human rank or power, who continues to call throughout his 33 years on earth, pay attention, pay attention. This is who I am and this is what it means for you. This is how you can know the Father and I'm shouting it now. I'm not whispering it, but I hope you have ears to hear and it will look different to how you imagined because I have to die to let you live. It's an upside down kingdom where the first will be last. Jesus is God and he wants to restore us. He sees, hears, understands our deep wounds and he accepts us in our sin and he takes mercy on us. How many times in the Gospels does it say he took mercy on them and stayed? He took mercy on them and wept. He taught mercy on them and taught them. He took mercy on them and fed them. And that's what we see in this parable. The Samaritan, the saviour, comes to see, hear and understand all those who are broken. Unlike the priest and the Levite, both religious workers whose job it was to teach and uphold God's law, the Samaritan saviour truly sees, hears and understands the one who is suffering. And that's the next question, isn't it? Who is this broken man, this man for whom he feels compassion? Well, it's us, isn't it? The man who is broken and damaged by the dangerous road we walk on each and every day of our lives. That's why the road is unremarked upon in the parable. It's a fact of life. It's a given, our default position in a world that's dangerous and hard and threatening. But with God, it's bearable because he's come to rescue us from the Jericho to Jerusalem road, from the world, from Satan, from ourselves. He has come down to make a way. Pay attention, he says. But it's not just us in here who need this rescuing. It's us inside and everyone out in the community, out there, beyond this building. The suffering man who Jesus rescues is not just me, man, but human, humanity. That's who he's come to rescue. So what are we called to do in response to this love from God, this relationship with him? How do we respond when he rescues us from the dangerous road? He was whispering the answer way back in Deuteronomy, wasn't he? When through Moses he instructs us to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And earlier in Leviticus, to love your neighbour as yourself. It's what Rach preached on a fortnight ago, the Shema. Such a beautiful word, Shema. 
Israel are instructed to keep these commandments in their hearts, to impress them on their children, to talk about them when they sit at home, when they go walking along the road, when they lie down, when they get up, to write them on their doors and on their gates, to tie them as symbols on their hands and on their foreheads, to paraphrase, pay attention to loving God completely. And God elaborates through Jesus on how to love your neighbour as yourself because that's what you do when you love God completely. Jesus says, love your enemy. Jesus says, if you love the least of these, you're loving me. Jesus says, get out of the building and have eyes, ears and hearts to understand and have mercy, show compassion, don't cross the road, don't go to the other side. Show your absolute love for me by loving others, by loving others with action. Love in action. And it's not tricky. It's straightforward. Jesus says, follow me. Do what I do. Love like I do. When the expert asks who my neighbour is, Jesus essentially says, haven't you been watching? He's everyone you've crossed the road to ignore. But he's also everyone I've been healing, feeding, loving. So pay attention. And as we think about a year, this year at Northern Life, as a year where we really wanted to do love in action, well, I think of all of you who've walked towards and not away, calling up and intentionally breaking through the COVID walls that we were forced to live in for so long so that you could connect with someone who needed some loving. Seeing each other at church, in Life Hub, down the street, it's so much easier to stay connected when you're already in contact. It's a harder thing to do, to call up and initiate relationship when the usual ties have been severed. But I feel the Lord's Spirit is at work. The gift of discernment is afoot. We've had eyes to see, ears to hear and hearts to understand who to call and when, what to offer and how. Many stories from recipients and saviours who've said a call or a gesture of some sort came at just the right time. How does that happen? I think there's a culture of carefully paying attention to others and quietly and respectfully acting on those observations or understanding. It's a spiritual discernment. I've been a recipient of of it myself. Someone called and said they'd picked up on something I'd said about family and let me know they were obediently praying for what I'd confirmed the Lord had had prompted them about. That's love in action. And I tell that story because most of them, like mine, have been kept private and confidential. But I know from tiny, tiny snippets, that there are hundreds of stories that replicate that moment in the parable where the Samaritan, like Jesus, sees, hears and understands. He, we, pay attention. Because as he conceals the deeper meaning of the parable to some, like the expert in the law, and reveals its depths to others, us, his followers, we see that we are simultaneously rescued and rescuer, saviour 
and the one who needs saving. And many of us showed that love out of the building too. Of course, it was literally all out of the building during COVID, but many of you showed love to people who were pretty new or brand new or for whatever reason are on the fringes of church. You made contact, followed up, you saw those people and you walked towards them, not away. You didn't look for wriggle room, for loopholes. You loved your neighbour, known or not. We had a catch up for women in our life hub Saturday a week ago and some had never met in person. Love in Action saw people joining life hubs during lockdown on Zoom. That's crazy. So, so firstly, we notice the Samaritan, the saviour, sees, hears and understands. Secondly, he acts. And I love the way he acts in this parable. He acts by getting up close and personal. It's Jesus' style, isn't it? From the passage, But a Samaritan as he travelled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and then wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He doesn't hesitate. He acts. He gets down on the ground. He touches him and ministers to his wounds. He sees a person, not a problem, and he doesn't flinch. He doesn't call triple zero and walk away. He gets involved. Pay attention, he tells us. And again, it's the story of 2021, I think, here at Northern Life. Bushwalks, coffee walks, garden walks, neighbourhood walks, gifts, texts, prayers, help to move, meals, nursing, time to listen, time to talk, shopping, mini picnics, drop-offs, hampers, and so much more. Many within the church, but some were out of the building too. Hampers for our local primary school and vision, a fusion, sorry, coach mentors undergoing two hours of intensive probing interviews about their background, getting ready for, to be a coach mentor. 23 people, a quarter of the total who joined the community forum because they believed affordable renting housing, rental housing is worth fighting for. Playgroup families who'd been at playgroup for just a term or more, ministered due to during lockdown by Linda and her team. Our mission team formed and mobilised, already sharing their specific vision within the church, with the church. And in a normal world, Kids Hope, Scripture in Schools, Switch, Charged, Homework Club, A Cuppa and a Chat. And so we start to see the real beginnings of getting out of the building, reaching out and into our communities, local and global, loving others as we love ourselves, walking the dangerous road and not looking away, instead walking toward and showing our love in these actions to those we know and those we don't, to those who are the same and to those who are different. And finally, we see the Samaritan, the saviour, the believer, I hope, commits. Then he, put his, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
What we notice here is the way he invests in the man's recovery. Jono mentioned the idea of inconvenience last week, and we see it here. The Samaritan's on his way somewhere. His involvement must be inconvenient for him. He has his own business to attend to, his own family to meet up with, something. He's on his way somewhere. But it doesn't stop him from ministering to this man, from picking him up and taking him to the inn, caring for him himself overnight, and then investing in further care during his absence. There's commitment, and in that commitment, a generosity that's not called for nor expected. Jesus isn't using these details to entertain us. He wants to inform us. Pay attention. Go the extra mile. Love as you want to be loved. A stranger, an enemy, the least of these, whoever it is. Get out there, out of the building, out of your comfort zone and love as I've shown you to love. Love by leaning in, walking toward, by committing, by getting involved, being generous with time, effort and resources, by reframing inconvenient to opportunity. Pay attention that when you learn to love me completely, he says, you learn to love out of my power in my spirit, and you'll be repaid in ways that you could never imagine. John has spoken about us being in an establishment phase. And I think of all the things we've dreamed of doing that day back in June in 2019, down in King Road, writing on post-it notes. And I see about, see what's getting off the ground now. I can see how God has moved us to go slow and dig deep into what he has for us in, on this corner in Hornsby. And I consistently see initiatives that enable us to see, to hear and understand the plight of our neighbours, to find out and help out or act in ways that are up close and personal, gutsy and brave and then being there for the long haul as we invest and commit to loving when it's inconvenient and reframing that as opportunity. As I finish up, you'll see the Love in Action initiatives I've referred to this morning on the screen, new and old. And there's not a heap of them, but that's the point, I suppose. We're digging in. If you're not involved in, in anything already, can I encourage you to bring what moves your heart before the Lord? And if you feel his prompting, speak to one of the pastors about getting involved. We have processes, of course, but we want willing and able hearts to be sharing in the Lord's work. So as I finish, can I say that we haven't shied away from saying who we are and what we believe in these ministries? We're not ashamed of the gospel in word or deed, and I think of the kookaburras who metaphorically could perch on the jacarandas out the front of the church, but don't because it's um, not so bushy for them. Um, and I think of their rioting calls to us to pay attention. My prayer is that we are hearing the Lord as he whispers and as he yells to us through his word, through the teaching here, through our prayers and through all the things we do to make him king in our lives and that we're always prompted to pay attention and to turn and in turn to give him all the glory. Let's pray.
Dear Lord, we know that you call us. You've been calling us all of our lives and we just pray that we hear your call to pay attention to what you have for us as individuals and as a church. And we ask that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear and hearts to understand that we would act and commit just as you have shown us how to do. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.